Thank you, Chong. Thank you, worship team. Wow. Tell you what, aren't you glad to be, first, aren't you glad to be inside today? Okay. But second, you're going to be inside in the house of the Lord today. So, yeah. So, thank you guys for being here and being a part of this. It's been a good day already. I've just enjoyed seeing people come in today and just seeing, it seems like pretty much most people have been in a good mood and not like artificially. It's like, how are things going? Well, I got this and this and this, but it's a good day. And I'm like, it just feels good to be a part of that today. Hey, we're going to continue in our work, in our, in our walk through Acts 16 today, but it's going to be a little bit different. We're going to, we finished Acts 15 and we saw last week, in fact, we've had two messages in a row now that really talked about church disagreements and how to how to get through that that's what acts 15 was about but as we move to 16 it changes to something much more positive positive. and so while last week you saw how godly leaders can can disagree even sharply and god can still work through them all right what we're going to look at today is how god follows through on that and what god does and how god continues to bless his church so today we're going to look at how God provides the personnel for church. And this is a great topic for today because we're going to do something really special at the end of the service. In fact, if you're a guest with us here today, man, you're going to get an inside peek sort of behind the curtain of how our church works a little bit. We're going to introduce our interim executive board. Now, that's what we call it. Churches call it different things at different times. But these are the people that come alongside the pastor and the staff to uh, supervise them, to guide them, to help them, and help direct the thing so it doesn't just fall on one person. And so we're going to be sort of praying over them at the end of the service today, but it relates to our passage in Acts that we're going to look at. So we're going to look at, at how God pro pro provides personnel when we need it. So we're going to look at Acts chapter 16. We're going to look at verses 1 through 5. Acts chapter 16, verses 1 through 5, we'll have it on the screen. We've got pew Bibles here, or chair Bibles, that's what we call them here, um, there, or if you want to use your phone, or if you just want to listen, that's fine too. So this again, after Paul and Barnabas have split up, Paul and Silas are taking their second missionary journey now, and so we pick up in verse 1. So Paul went on to Derby and Lystra, those are just two towns, where there was a disciple named Timothy, the son of a believing Jewish woman, but his father was a Greek. The brothers and sisters at Lystra and Iconium, another town, spoke highly of him. And Paul wanted Timothy to go with him, so he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, since they all knew his father was a Greek. They traveled through the towns, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders, we'll refer back to that in a moment, at Jerusalem for all the people to observe. So the churches were strengthened in their faith, and grew daily in numbers. Let's pray. Father, we ask for you to open our eyes and our hearts today to your word. Guide us just as you guided your servants, Father. As you guided them in this passage, guide us so that just like them, we can be on mission as well, and we can experience your blessings, and we can strengthen your people to serve you more and love you better. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, as usual, I want to review what we looked at before. So previously on the Acts of the Apostles, here's what happened. Paul and Barnabas have gone their separate ways. They've had this great um, um, visit in Jerusalem to talk about what to do with the Gentile Christians and how to, uh, what they needed to do to kind of get along with the Jewish Christians. And then so they go back and they leave Jerusalem. They go back to Antioch, which was which the missional church. The church sent out the first missionary enterprise, which was Paul and Barnabas. So they're back there in the city of Antioch. Now, 
they'd been there sometime. It doesn't tell us exactly how long. But Paul and Barnabas uh, decided to go off on this missionary journey again. Paul and but Paul, uh, uh, excuse me, Paul and Barnabas split. So uh, Barnabas takes Mark and goes off to Cyprus. Paul and Silas, this new helper for for Paul, has gone around the back way and they're coming back to the town of the towns of Derby and Lystra. Now they had originally visited these towns on the first missionary journey in Acts chapter. 14, but we skipped over that as we're looking through it. So we're going to back up just a little bit, and we're going to look at what happened to them in Lystra two chapters earlier in Acts chapter 14. So here's verses four, uh, 8 to 20 of chapter 14. So in Lystra, this is their first journey, probably about five years earlier, there was a man sitting who was out without strength in his feet. He had never walked and had been lame from birth. He listened as Paul spoke. After looking directly at him and seeing that he had faith to be healed, Paul said in a loud voice, Stand up on your feet. And he jumped up and began to walk around. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted, saying in the Lyconian language, in Lystra, that's what they spoke, it was sort of the local dialect, Lyconian. In the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. And Barnabas they called Zeus, probably because he was the bigger of the two. And Paul, they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. So they're starting to worship. Then the priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside town, brought bulls and wreaths to the gate because he intended with the crowds to offer sacrifice. Now let's pause there for a second and kind of tell you what's going on here. Remember, at this point, there had been no really missionaries coming there. There, was, there were some Jews in the area, but there weren't, it wasn't anybody really telling them about Jesus. They may have heard a little bit about it, but there had not been any missionary enterprise. This was an unreached people group, as we refer to them today. They didn't know much, anything at all about Jesus. They worshipped the Greek gods, because that was sort of the standard religion of that time. You worship the Greek gods, that was just part of everyday life. And so when these miracles happened, they thought, oh, it's these gods that we, that we think we know. And so they start trying to worship them. So Paul, in particular, gets pretty bent out of shape by this. And it says, the... Um, uh, the apostles, apostles Paul, Barnabas and Paul, tore their robes. That was one way you showed anger or, or frustration. When they heard this and they rushed into the crowd saying, People, why are you doing these things? We are people also, just like you. And we're proclaiming good news to you that you turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heavens, the earth, and the sea and everything in them. Now, that's sort of interesting. They're correcting these guys, but, they're saying, but they use it to go on and share about Jesus with them. It said, in past generations, he, God, allowed the nations to go their own way, although he did not leave himself without a witness. Since he did what is good by giving you rain from heaven and fruitful seasons and filling you with food and your hearts with joy. I know that sounds weird. He's just saying, God's been good to you. Time to pay attention to him. And even though they said these things, they barely stopped the crowds from sacrificing to them. Some Jews from, okay, so they got them calmed down. We're going to kind of see, this is, all right. Sort of what happened, if you've ever, okay, I'm going to get in trouble here. But when my daughter was a teenager, we used to call her Katie 180 because she could change emotions on a dime. I saw her go from crafting to lying, crying to laughing to crying in 10 seconds one time, okay? That's when she's, sweetie, if you're listening now, that's not you now, okay? She's a beautiful mature woman now okay but she was a typical teenager we all do that kind of thing it's sort of what was happening here that's not been not trying to be critical of teenage girls so don't hear that all right but 
it was just that quick movement that so they're like not paying attention to these guys and they're trying to worship them and they're trying to get them calmed down and talk to them about Jesus and then it changes emotion one more time so they get them calmed down but then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium so towns nearby so think about this is happening in Fresno it said then some people came from Madeira and Sanger who caused problems if you're from Madeira or Sanger I'm not criticizing you either but so these Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and when they won over the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city thinking he was dead. They went from worshiping him to trying to kill him. Does that sound like what happened to Jesus a little bit? See, you know what? When we follow Jesus, we ought to expect we're going to be treated like Jesus was in some way. So they, they took Paul and they stoned him. If you're not familiar with the idea of being stoned, it's not what it is today, okay? So especially for you, it's basically that you really laughed at that. You laughed at that, okay. Stoning, basically, is they would ask you to sort of, would you sort of stand here in this pit while we fill it in with large rocks? That's basically what stoning was like back then. And it was a way of killing somebody. And they thought Paul was dead. And so they dragged him out of the city thinking he was dead. After the disciples gathered around, he got up, went into town, and the next day he left with Barnabas for Derby. It's like, not big deal, no biggie. It happens all the time, you know. Again, you go from worshiping to learning about Jesus, to stoning, to bringing brought back to life. I mean, it was just a, the emotional merry-go-round for these guys. But can you imagine, though, how exciting that was for the people who believed in Jesus? How much they would remember that. I mean, if somebody claimed to be a god, and then you found out he was really, he was really proclaiming Jesus, and then he got killed, and then he came back to life, five years later, wouldn't you remember that? So can you imagine that these guys walk back into town, and they walk back into Lystra, and they see Paul coming. There was such excitement over what was going on. And imagine how weird it must have been because, they, Paul, so good to see you. Hey, where's Barnabas? Uh, well, we're not going to talk about that now, okay? All right. So there was still some of that left over from the, from the split there, but Paul is back in this town. And when Paul returned, he met this young man named Timothy, who had become his protege and companion. Now, we don't know a lot about Timothy, Okay, we do know from other Bible passages, he was one of two men who was, Tim, was Paul's protégés, Timothy and Titus. There may have been others, but those are the only ones mentioned in the Bible. He traveled with Paul during the second missionary journey. We know that he had a real genuine faith that he learned from his mother and his grandmother. So moms and grandmoms, remember that? Okay, the guy who became Paul's right-hand man learned it first from his, from his mom and his grandmother. So listen, in fact, I'm going to say this right now, okay? Out of our tradition, we don't normally have women pastors. But let me tell you that, guys. Women, if you didn't do your job, there's a whole lot of ministry. In fact, I'd say probably most of it that wouldn't happen if you guys weren't doing your job and raising your kids and influencing, working in the nursery, whatever it might be. And I'm not saying that's the only thing you can do, but I'm just saying you've got a role. You have an influence. And keep that in mind, okay? And some of you older women, mentoring some of the younger women too. That kind of thing that could go on. So I want to I wanna affirm your ministry right now. No matter what form it takes in the church, God uses women. And don't you ever, ever forget that, okay? So we know also about Timothy that, Paul, that he ministered in Paul's absence in Macedonia and Corinth and Ephesus. Um, we know that he was young. He was probably only a teenager, maybe even younger than John Mark that Paul had rejected earlier. So he, we know he was a young guy, but mainly we know he became an important part of Paul's team and seemed to have taken on many pastoral responsibilities in several churches. Now, we don't know this about Timothy, but I imagine, I'm going to use my inspired imagination here for a little bit, but I think 
it's quite likely that Timothy became a believer in Jesus at Paul's first visit five years earlier because there weren't any Christians there as far as we know in his first visit and so Timothy and his mother and his grandmother learn about Jesus and become worshipers so he's been had five years of learning about Jesus on his own or from other Christians that might have wandered through now we're coming five years later he's matured to the point where Paul looks at him and says I want this guy to be a part of our team right now and I want you to consider this we don't know this either but think about it if Paul had stayed with Barnabas and brought John Mark that young man with them would Paul have been open to adding another young man like Timothy to his team we don't know for sure but it is possible that God used the split between Barnabas and Paul to bring Paul to the point where he was ready to accept a new protege, this new young man, Timothy. So when bad things happen, or when we're having struggles in a church, and not that we've had struggles, okay, but when you do have struggles, remember, God is in control. God knows the future. God knows what is best, and sometimes he is using those things to set us up for something better. That's part of faith, knowing that God has our back and God has something better planned. So I imagine... If it hadn't been for that split, that Timothy would have never become Paul, part of Paul's team. We can't say that for sure, but we know that's quite a possibility. Now, I want to let you know that God works things out in some weird ways. He brings us leaders when we need them. If Paul hadn't needed another leader with them, Timothy might not have been there. But when we need new leaders, Paul brings them. We've got a couple examples in our own church. I'm going to start off with <clears throat> this first. When the Goldsboro's left, and the shepherds left they were all involved in worship ministry and i remember people thinking oh my gosh we're going to be like it's going to be like hunter and that's it's up on stage we had seven people leading God, is it possible for me to stay in Fresno? I will step out of this interim pastor thing if I, if I need to, if you will allow me to stay in Fresno. So, God, I'm not asking you if that's your will. I'm asking you, can, that, can you allow that to happen? For me to stay in Fresno for a little bit, to be involved in ministry, and so, uh, to be involved with my family. And uh, I even thought I would just wind up substitute teaching for a while. And uh, so that's what I really thought. God, if that's okay with you, can I do it? I was in Fresno only two weeks before I got a call saying, hey, guys at Fresno Church want to talk to you about it. I had never heard of your church before. In fact, here's the weird thing. 
Um, all the churches I had served before were Southern Baptists. That's just my background. It's my connections. I didn't have a lot of connections outside of that. But here's what happened, just so you know. You know, when, when previous pastor left, the church had decided for a while we weren't going to call a pastor, and then the leaders who were there thought, you know what, we just need some consistency. We need something. So they contacted former pastor's brother over in San Jose, who was a pastor, and said, hey, what do you guys recommend? And he said, you know what, a friend of mine used to be pastoring here in San Jose. He now leads an organization in Contact him, and, uh, and he might know somebody you could use. Well, I don't know if he was in when you guys contact or not, but when those phone calls come into that office, they get routed to my old assistant, my former assistant, Catherine, who is in charge of helping churches find pastors and stuff. And she says, hey, I know a guy who just finished a church and might be available. You know what? If it hadn't been for that situation of you guys, the timing God gave you of you guys wanting to do it on your own for a little bit, and the timing of me not wanting to leave Fresno for a little bit, I'm not sure I would have been open to coming to a church like Fresno Church. Not your bad church. I just didn't know anything about you. And your leaders probably wouldn't have been open to having a guy with a Southern Baptist background because they are the problem children of the evangelicals. I want you to know that. You just got it. They're, they're troublemakers all around, okay? But that's the timing God brought us in to be together here, that God provided a church when I needed it and a leader when you needed it. And so that was just a wonderful thing. Now, some of you are thinking, well, you probably shouldn't be here, then that's your opinion. But I think God orchestrated this myself for us to be here because God provides the leaders when we need them. So it is possible that God... Yes, thank you, Lord, for that. That is that, that God, and I am thankful for this church. I really am. So is it possible that God can use the painful experiences in our church's past to prepare us for a new leader that we'd have never considered before? Yes, it is possible. And as I mentioned at the beginning of this message, at the end of the service, we're going to introduce our interim executive board, and we'll explain that at the end of the message. But we needed to update a board structure for a while, and, but it took a departure of one of our board members, Jeremy Goldsboro, to make us realize it's time to start moving forward on this. Not that Jeremy was holding us back, but just we, he was doing a great job, along with Red, our other board member. And to be honest, I was comfortable with what those guys in their leadership, but we knew we needed to do something. And so we began to feel that urgency to, to move forward. And when we looked around, we realized that God had provided us, had, had provided us with the leaders we need for right now because God provides leaders when we need them. And one of the principles I try to follow is that if we discover a ministry opportunity for our church, and it happens sometimes, people say, hey, would you be interested in being involved in this ministry or that ministry? One of my principles is, if God doesn't bring to mind a leader to lead that ministry, then it's probable that God's saying, that's not for your church right now. That when God leads us to start a new ministry, he provides a leader for it. I do believe that because God has consistently shown that he raises up people to be used by him when we need them. Now, let's go to our second point here, though. But not only that, but one of the things we're finding, and the pastor search team is discovering this, God provides leaders who aren't perfect, but God can make them perfect. Perfect, actually, in the, in the Greek, actually means means uniquely designed to do its job. So a vase in, in Greek mentality, a water pot that holds water is a perfect water pot. It doesn't have to be flawless. It doesn't have to be uh, the most beautiful water pot, but it's designed to hold water. If it holds water and you can carry it, in Greek thought, it was a perfect water pot. 
And so God does not provide leaders always who are perfect, but he can make them perfect. We see this in Timothy. It may seem like a small thing to you, but Timothy, we, ha- we bring up this thing of circumcision again. I know we've talked about it like three Sundays in a row, and I'm sorry. It was a big deal for these guys. Timothy was in a unique situation. It says that his mother was Jewish, but his father was a Greek. And, and that combination of Greek and Jewish made it sort of weird. In Greek thought, he was Greek because dads ruled in Greek thought, you know. But in Jewish thought, you were only Jewish if your mother was Jewish. In other words, if, you're, if your dad was Jewish and your mother was not, the Jews didn't consider to be born Jewish. Here's the reason. Because if your dad was married a Gentile woman, it was not a valid marriage. And so the kid wasn't even considered his. But you couldn't say that with a woman because you know the, woman, the, the, the kid is the woman's because it comes out of the woman, so it's easy to see. So that's sort of, there, there's, it's more complicated than that. That's a simple version of it. But the basic thought was, if, you, if your mother was Jewish, then you were Jewish. So depending on how you looked at Timothy, he could be considered Greek, he could be considered Jewish. Now, because his dad was Greek, Timothy wasn't circumcised when he was, when he was a kid as most Jewish babies were. Now, Paul knew that they were going to be traveling to these different cities, and where they normally went was the synagogues. So normally they went to the synagogues first. That was where most of the Jewish people was, and that's who they talked to first. And Paul realized that Timothy seemed like the perfect leader, except that if he's not circumcised, then the Jewish people are not going to accept him. He won't be allowed to speak in the synagogue and stuff. Now, I don't know how they would know that, I, don't, I don't even know that, okay? That's just, it, it baffles me, you know? You just don't ask, that's not, you know, hey, nice to meet you. Let me tell you, what happened? Did anything happen to you when you were eight days old, you know, or whatever it was? But they seemed to ask that question back then. So Paul had Timothy, asked Timothy to get circumcised, which is a bigger deal as an adult or as a young man than it is as a child, okay? Now, again, we're not here to talk about whether you should do that to your kids or whatever. I'm just talking about what happened in Scripture there, all right? So, why did he do that? But his other, his other protege, Titus, the Bible says specifically, he didn't ask Titus to be circumcised because Titus, both of his parents were Greek. And, or Helen, and so there was none of that question there at all. But Paul asked Timothy to make this small adjustment. Now, Timothy may have thought it was a more important deal than Paul did, but asked him to make the small adjustment so that it would not hinder the gospel being proclaimed. And so that's just a reminder there that sometimes when we're looking at a leader, it may not look, there may be something that seems wrong in that leader's past or wrong in that leader's personality, but we're not going to find the perfect leader. Sometimes they'll have to make some changes, we'll have to make some changes. In fact, I've worked with churches as a consultant for over 30 years, and I, I cannot ever remember finding a leader who looked perfect. I mean, I just, I cannot ever remember finding the perfect leader. And I'll give you a good example of that. I used to run a large youth conference, ran several thousand students, and uh, I lost one of my key leaders, one of my key volunteers. Actually, they got p- paid a little bit. It's not important, but one of my key team leaders for this event. And I was trying to find the new leader for this important part of our, of our ministry. And a young man about late 20s, early 30s, kept coming to mind. Now, the people who had done this before were in their 40s and 50s, and it, it had a lot to do with technical stuff, and it was a big team and a big part of the budget. And I kept looking for this young man kept coming to mind. 
But I just couldn't believe that he would be, I said, one, Lord, he's way too young. Two, I've known him since he was a teenager. So I've seen all the stupid things he's done. And the Lord said, no, you haven't seen nearly all the stupid things he's done, just like he didn't seen all the stupid things you've done. But I remember this young man, when he was, I got him his first, helped him get his first ministry position as a summer missionary. And on the way there, he fell asleep at the wheel and totaled his car. You know, I'm thinking, ah, the guy's irresponsible. I even knew of some serious sin issues in his past that were, that were issues. So there were just things that I also knew that he had this stuff that he could get full of himself sometimes. And I just could not, like, Lord, that just, he's not the right guy. But he kept coming to mind. So finally, one year at the conference, I gave him a small task in that area. I said, okay, I, I'm, I, I wasn't ready to trust him with everything. And he did great, except everybody thought he was just a little goofy. But God still brought him to mind. And so I just finally gave in to what God said. And I said, okay, I asked him to take over this thing. He became one of, my, one of my most trusted leaders. He actually had the biggest part of the budget, the largest number of team people. I relied on him. He became part of the planning team that planned it everywhere. In fact, the area of ministry he moved into at that conference actually became his, his livelihood. And he began working with other churches in that same area of ministry. And as a guy, I would recommend um in stuff at, at all time. in fact i'll tell you it was av he worked with it, the technical stuff and if a church ever needed uh, somebody to consult with them av i'd say this is a guy worth paying to come and have this guy done because he just seemed like the wrong guy to me but god kept bringing forth he turned out that god made him perfectly what i needed i trusted him with so many areas of ministry because of what because of how he showed himself that it even happened in my life one time one of my greatest summers i ever had was the summer I served as a, as a camp pastor for a camp called Centrifuge. Now, you may have never heard of it before, but Centrifuge is this huge series of camps. They run probably 30, 40 camps around the summer, reaching as many as 100,000 students in a summer. And they were opening up this new thing that was a traveling camp that traveled out to, to, to re more remote areas. They needed a specialized team to be able to do this. And they called me up and said, would you be the camp pastor for it? And the guy who called me up, I knew... He and I had knocked heads before with some things. He, there were just things in our personality we didn't, we didn't clash with or we didn't uh, mesh with. And I asked him, I said, now you're asking me to the camp pastor for this. Are you sure I'm God's person for this? And he said, you've got to be. I've asked seven other people and they've all turned me down. You've got to be God's person for that. Now that was a little humbling, but it was actually one of the greatest summers I'd ever had. That, that even for him... He, didn't, he couldn't find the guy that he thought was perfect. He came to me that he knew was imperfect. But it turned out to be a marvelous summer, and God blessed in so very many different ways. And God continues to do that over and over again. In fact, I have come to believe that God loves picking leaders who seem imperfect or seem unlikely and then blossoming them into the person that God wants them to be. Think about Samuel. He had seven older brothers that, not Samuel, David. Samuel looked at seven older brothers of, pay attention to what I mean, not what I say. All right. I was just checking to see how many of those that, those that, those that reacted, or the ones that know your Bible and the ones who did. All right, King David. Samuel was called to anoint the new king of Israel. He goes to this house, says, one of these guys' sons, he looks at seven brothers before he finally goes to David. And he's like, are you sure it's this one, the runt of the litter, you know? He says, no, that's the one I'm going to leave to be the greatest, lead to be the greatest king that Israel will ever have, so other than Jesus. So 
Uh, now, here's a, I got a couple of applications for this. The first is, I want to encourage you to pray for the pastor search team. Because some of them got onto this pastor search team thinking that, oh, we'll have like two meetings, we'll interview a couple people, and we'll bring somebody forward, all right? And it's not that way at all. And I'm exaggerating a little bit here, but, but it feels like sometimes it will look at a resume, and it looks like, oh, this guy's like the perfect age, and he's got the right number of kids. It's like just a, the dream pastor, okay? This is, you know, this is, all right, to, to reference a, a movie that came out this week, this is the kin of pastors right here, okay? If you've not seen the Barbie movie. You seen the Barbie movie yet? No? All right. You, are you going to? Okay. You're not doing the Barbenheimer double feature that everybody's talking All right. So, all right. So, um, but it just looks perfect. Then we got like, oh, but he believes in baptizing babies, you know, or something like that. Or, um, or, um, or he's got, you know, the perfect amount of experience, and he's, he's got the right kind of theology, and, uh, oh, there was this eight-year gap in ministry. Oh, that's when he was in prison for murder. You know, we're just kind of looking at this. It just never seems right. So every, it's, again, I'm exaggerating here, okay? We've not, we didn't, we didn't bring the murder, we didn't move the murder up to the A-list. Okay, no, all right, so. Actually, Paul was a murderer, so, and God used him, so. Uh, so if you're listening and you're a murderer, we're not being critical of you either, all right? God can use everybody, and as you guys, the laughter that I'm hearing from you guys now, you're realizing that, yes, God can use me, and you wouldn't think I'm the likely leader, all right? So, uh, (laughs) this wouldn't be so bad if we weren't on YouTube now like everybody else, okay? I've never had a congregation that I've lost control of the congregation before. All right, so pray for the pastor search team, all right, because... They, they want to find the perfect candidate, but they're not going to. And we're not going to present to you the perfect candidate at some point. That, um, now, we may not have to circumcise the new candidate when he comes, but we will have to accept some kind of imperfection. And so will they, because we're not the perfect church. I bet some of them are looking at us going, you know, this is the, this is the area I want to be in, this is the size church I really want, but, oh, they're not going to pay enough, or or this is a good salary, and this is good people, and this kind of thing, but I don't want to live in Fresno. It's always going to be something like that that it could be. So I'm just saying, when we present a candidate to you, he won't be perfect, and we'll have to make some adjustments, but we're not perfect, and he'll have to make some adjustments too. So that's that. The second application I want to make for you today is to realize that the men we're going to present to you here aren't perfect either, but we do believe that they are the right leaders for this time. They are men who are committed to seeking God's best for Fresno Church. And they're committed to helping guide our church into God's preferred future for us. And so we're going to be presenting them in just a moment, but let's get to our third point first. Because when God provides the the needed leaders and those leaders yield their lives to the changes God wants to make in their lives, then God uses his chosen leaders to bless his church. He blesses his church through those leaders when we're doing it right. So I want to go back and look at verses 4 and 5 again. It's just two short verses at the end. It says, as they traveled through the towns, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles. That was from that Jerusalem council, okay, at Jerusalem for the people to observe. So the churches were strengthened in faith, in the faith, and grew daily in numbers. Just two simple verses there that says God confirms that he is still in control. And he is using his people to do his work. And we must remember that here at our church. This is still God's church. And we have to look to him to provide our leaders and provide our direction. Now, that doesn't mean 
that you just do whatever that leader says for no reason. Here's the key right here. If God is blessing his church through it, then that's a good sign that it's the, it's the leaders that God wanted. Okay? Because if, if, if God had not blessed the church, if they were not strengthened by that, then Paul would have probably let Timothy go and said, hey, was glad to have you here. Glad it worked out for a little bit, but we need to look somewhere else. So God, if we're doing it right, God's going to bless. Now, for many months, Jeremy and Red, who were your executive board members and your deacons, they prayed and searched for God's will in the area of new leadership. We knew that Jeremy would be leaving, and, we, and that would leave us with one deacon and one executive board member. And so we, we put together what we felt like was going to be an interim executive board. And here's how I say interim, because we're calling a new pastor. We want to give some flexibility to the church as we move forward. So we believe that we've put together a board that's that we put together a board that will serve the needs of Fresno Church today and be flexible enough to work with the skills and the vision and the needs of a new pastor to lead us into God's future for us. Now before we get to the installation, I want to I want you to consider your part in God's future for our church. That even though we're talking about these main leaders here this is not we're not a church where we're top-down driven kind of thing we're a congregational church we believe god speaks we believe in the priesthood of the believer and god speaks through all of us and all of us have a part to play here so it's not like these guys are doing the leadership these are the shepherds and you're the sheep there's some sense it refers to these guys as, as shepherds at some point but but that's not our focus here we all have ministries to be involved in many of you do have ministries as I look here in the front and I see Destiny, who leads with our coffee shop. I see Mark, who stepped up and is drumming now. I see Jackie doing the announcements. And, and there's many other, I could mention many, many more, okay. Mona, who is tempting us with donuts, that provides, has, provides those almost every Sunday there. And um, um, so anyway, we won't go into that. But, but so many of you have leadership areas, to, and we're going to need more people. We're going to need more deacons. We're going to need other worship team members. We're going to need, if we grow, and I do believe that God's going to have us grow. If we choose a right leader, we're going to grow. Not for our glory, but there's an old saying, healthy things grow. And if we're a healthy church doing what God has called us to do, we're going to grow. That means we're going to need more people working in Kidsville. And it's got to be people that can pass background checks and fingerprinting, all right? We're going to need more people leading small groups. We need more small group leaders right now. So think, where is God using you? What is God calling you to do? Now, if you feel like you're doing everything right now, God, this is, I'm not trying to make you feel guilty, okay? But it's always a good time for us to look and say, God, where is it you want to use us? I mean, we got to, as I mentioned, deacons and small groups and worship and to serve on committees and teams that will expand our current ministries, like our remote service at Paintbrush. And by the way, guys, paint, guys at Paintbrush, we're glad you joined us today live. Thank you for being with us here today. And uh, we need more people. We do a monthly service over there um, in person, but we do uh, every Sunday live. And so we need people that will minister over there, uh, uh, the rescue the children, the Fresno Mission, Christ Helping Hands, and new ministries that God might have us do. So begin praying now for God's direction for you just as we've prayed for God's direction for our board. So let me leave you some specifics of what you can do before we get to our board installation. First, I want you to trust that God will provide the right leaders as long as we're truly seeking his will. That's the key. 
If we're truly seeking his will, God will provide the right leaders for us. Second, I want you to pray for your pastor search team because they have an, uh, uh, an awesome, I don't mean awesome great, I mean awesome like awe-filling with like putting us in awe of how, uh, of this responsibility of trying to, to do the vetting to bring a pastoral candidate to the church. And again, remember, that will come to the church uh, for that vote. The, 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 the pastor search team, the board does not choose. They do the groundwork, but the church chooses. Uh, so pray for your pastor search team. Pray for your executive board because there are decisions they will have to make that, that, so that we don't have to bring them to the whole church. I mean, and we don't want that. I grew up in a church where, I've mentioned this before, where we had to vote on whether to change the brand of sprinkler heads. You know, um, um, we had a company come out and wash the front windows because we wanted to look better than what a volunteer might do. And you don't want that coming to the church business meeting to vote which company to do that. So you have leaders to do that. And so they're doing those kind of decisions, but pray for them, okay? Pray for them and pray for that executive board as they have some, some hard decisions they're going to be making. And then this one, don't ever forget this, rely on your executive board. That, um, that they're, these men are serving not because they want glory, because they've already discovered there is no glory in this. There is meetings and there is tedium and there is discussions and there is prayer and there is fear and, and, uh, and trembling and all that, but these guys are here to, to help our church be the church God wants us to be, so rely on them also. So we're going to have a word of prayer, and then I'm going to call these guys up. Um, Reuben, do we have the handout available? Okay, so let me have a word of prayer, and then we've got a handout that, that tells you a little bit about these guys, but let's have a word of prayer first. Father, I know we're ending the service a little bit differently, um, but Father, it's uh, or the message, but Father, thank you that this time of worship is going to continue to something even better than the message. Father, this time of worship is going to now be looking at leaders that we believe you have chosen, leaders that you're going to use to help shepherd our church, to guide it, to look, walk alongside the staff and the, and the new pastor when he comes to be able to, to, to help our church grow as disciples and grow in ministry and to see more changed lives and more people entering into your kingdom as fully formed followers of Christ, as worshipers who will, uh, who will become disciples and make disciples themselves. And so, Father, thank you. And, Father, I pray that you will help us continue a spirit of worship right now as we bring these men forward, Father. So thank you for, for that. In Jesus' name, amen.